Well, wives, it's good to see that you brought back your husbands. You said, I'm not going through that, if, and, then you're not, and then you just skip out next Sunday, uh, what we looked at last week. Can I get another bottle of water, please, so brothers? Sorry, I'm going through this thing like crazy. Thank you, brother. <clears throat> well, it's good to see you all back here together. We're going to be uh, in Colossians, so if you would please uh, turn your copy of God's Word to Colossians chapter 3. We're just looking at the next verse, going verse by verse, saying what God says, being faithful to Him. He has given us His Word, and so He knows what we need to hear. And He's written it in such a fashion where each verse is important, and we're not at liberty to pick and choose things that we like or prefer. And so... We want to faithfully walk through this book of Colossians, and it's been a joy to go through so far, and we've been, especially these last, this last month or so, been getting into Colossians 3, and the application of the supremacy and the sufficiency of Christ in the life of the believer. What does it look like that He is your Lord, and He's your Savior, and that He's your all, that He's everything you need? What does that practically, how does that practically manifest itself? In the believer's life. Well, today we're going to be looking at husbands and men, how you as husbands, as men of God, can demonstrate in the home first how Christ is supreme and sufficient in your life. It says in verse 19 Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Now we're going to be uh, expositing this text, but we are also, of course, going to be looking and gleaning uh, much from Ephesians 5, um, which is the parallel passage to this. It says almost exactly the same thing, but it gives us a little bit more color, you could say, where it says in Ephesians 5, uh, verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Sounds familiar. But it goes on. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought also to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church, because we are members of his body. So a lot more unpacking uh, and undergirding uh, the passage that we are in in Colossians 3. So we're going to glean from both of those passages uh, together this morning. And the title of this sermon is a husband's loving leadership. A husband's loving leadership. My desire, my goal this morning, dear brothers, especially to you men, is that husbands would love their wives through servant leadership. Husbands would love their wives through, through servant leadership. That is that you would love your wife the way Christ loves you and the church. You know, our society... One author wrote, Our society 
has manhood and womanhood backwards. Women are pressured to be tough and independent, and men are made to be weak and effeminate. Women are encouraged to leave the home and strive for success in the business world, and men are scolded for being too masculine. We even have a term for it nowadays, don't we? Toxic masculinity. And if you ask uh, the culture, and if you do any digging, as I had the unfortunate privilege to do this week, to dig into their thinking, any form of masculinity is toxic. The only quote-unquote masculinity that isn't toxic to our society today is an effeminate man, a girly man, you might say. The, the, the modern American church is no different, though, if we're honest. Even in the church, the tendency can be that men are reduced to soft and childish men who have no conviction, no opinion, no courage, and no voice. However, some churches overreact to that. And they go in the complete opposite direction. They overreact to this by becoming harsh and domineering tyrants. Both extremes are unbiblical expressions of manhood and male leadership. And what God does in His Word is He wisely gives us a balanced and, and what's interesting, always countercultural uh, standard of manhood. Especially what it means to be a husband. A husband is called to the role of loving leadership. To love as Christ loves the church. And what we're going to see this morning are three points. Christ-like love shepherds, serves, and is sweet. Christ-like love shepherds, serves, and is sweet. And I, I got to give credit where credit is due. Last week I mentioned a book for the ladies. This week uh, the, the parallel book uh, is The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. Excellent book. Easy to read. <clears throat> It'll just, he, he knows us as men, especially as husbands. The Exemplary Husband by Stuart Scott. Uh, is uh, both, uh, it rips you up, but then it puts you back together. Uh, it, it, it takes you apart, but then it builds you back up and, in Christ, in the gospel. It's a wonderful, helpful book for you men, whether you're married or desire to become married. I would commend that book to you. The first thing that we want to see this morning is that Christ-like love shepherds. Now, before we get into this shepherding aspect, that, that leadership aspect of love and, and the husbandry, uh, we need to unpack what, this, what does this mean to love, right? It, when it says, husbands, love your wives, what does that mean? What's striking here is that having just spoken to the wives uh, and calling them to subject themselves, submit themselves to their husbands, as is fitting to the Lord in verse 18, he does not, God does not turn to the men and say, men, 
uh, make sure that your wives submit or men lead. He doesn't do that. Rather, instead of focusing on the husband's rights or role of authority in the marriage, God tells the husband, excuse me, God tells the husband of his duty to love his wife. That's striking. One author says, in the dynamics of Christian relationships, a husband's loving, caring, sacrificial approach to his wife's well-being makes her responsibility of submission easier. That's why he says, husbands, love your wives, because he just told the wives, submit yourselves to your husbands. Because if, you, if a husband is characterized by a loving, caring, sacrificial relationship to his wife, then her role of submission is far easier and even joyful. So, wives, this is for your sake as well, that your husbands would treat you this way. This is an encouragement and a safety for you to place yourself under your husband's submission. Emphasizing the importance of love and what that looks like, George Swinnick writes, all things that concern your wife should be done in love. Oh, how did Christ, who is your pattern, love his spouse? His birth, life, and death were but, as it were, a stage whereon the warmest love imaginable from first to last played its part in his life. That's a beautiful way of saying the life of Christ was this stage and the play that's, that, that was on the stage was the play of love. It was a demonstration of his love for his people. And so how can it be that if he is our model, that, that the husband's life is not simply nothing more than a play on which he acts out his love for his wife? John MacArthur says that God designed that a wife's submission operate within a context of love. That's so important. In that way, he says, she is protected because a man who truly loves his wife will never force her to submit to something humiliating, degrading, or anything that violates her conscience. The godly husband Loves his wife like Christ loves the church. So what is this love? As I did last week with what's, defining what submission is, it's easy. It's more helpful to communicate and think about what first biblical love is not. So here's what biblical love, here's what a husband's love, Christian love is not, especially in the context of a marriage. Biblical love. The husband's love that is called for here is not romantic feelings. It's not a puppy love. It's not some crush. It's not limited to simple physical attraction or lust or an urge for intimacy. Love is not equated with sex. Love, biblically, a husband's love is not a need for the other person. Like, I just can't live without you. That's not love. 
That's dependence. That's codependence. You don't know that you love somebody if you're just sad without that person. It's, It's much more than that. Love, biblically, the husband's love is is not to be words without actions. Nor is it to be actions without words. Rather, the Christian man is able and informed to love rightly because he has first been loved by God in Christ. Notice with me in, in, in our very same book, Colossians 1, verse 13 It's the context of having been loved. That's the context in which the husband loves. Colossians 1.13 Who rescued us from the authority of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of the Son of His love. So Christian, you live in a kingdom of the Son of the love of God. The beloved Son of God. It's a kingdom of love, you could say. You have been transferred from this domineering, dark, vengeful, oppressive uh, authority of sin to, to this loving kingdom of Christ. Not only this, but in Colossians 3.12, it says, So as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You see, dear child of God, you are beloved. You are loved by God. And so if you need any kind of direction, what, how do I love? What do I do in response to how my wife is uh, acting or speaking? Or what do I do in this situation? What, what are the principles that should guide my love for my wife? Well, just get your, your nose in the Bible and start reading of God's love for you. You've been loved by him. You know exactly how to love. You just start doing what you so enjoy in Christ. And the, 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 the weight of this is that this is your calling, to love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. That's the bar. And you are going to spend the rest of your life, the rest of your marriage, trying to meet up to that bar. The reality is you're never going to reach it, but you can get closer and closer as each day goes by. This biblical love, the the product of biblical love is unity. So how do you know if you you are are creating an environment, your little, as it were, kingdom of love in your home? How do you know that you're providing an environment of love if you're loving your wife right? Is there unity? Is there unity in the home? That is, is there harmony in the home? That is, are you are at least able to work through conflict and reach a resolution together and not just ignore or avoid conflict, but to handle it biblically and to reach a harmonious conclusion together? That's unity. In the context of our passage here, Love is the key to church unity in Colossians 2, 1 and 2. For I want you to understand how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen my face in the flesh so that their hearts may be encouraged having been held together in love. 
The hearts of the people of God are held together, united, harmonious, in love. And then later on in in chapter 3, verse 14, Above all these things put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So, so simple. You want unity? You want harmony in your marriage? Is there conflict? You need to love more. You need to get more in line with the love of God for you. You need to more imitate more the, the love of Christ for his church. So that's a good gauge, men. Is there unity in the home? Well then, adjust accordingly, right? Love is essential for marital unity. Now, our first point, again, kind of backtracking, but keeping, keeping going in a sense too, uh, that Christ-like love shepherds. Christ-like love shepherds. That is, Christ-like love leads. Love leads in the home. Husband love is a love of leadership. It's a ministry of leadership. Uh, love fulfills the God-given role of headship, leadership, and authority in the home. If you scale back on your headship, your leadership, your authority in the home, men, you're not loving your wife. Because it's hard work, isn't it? It's hard work to call the shots and to be the guy, right? For the buck to stop at you and for the responsibility to weigh upon your shoulders. That's hard work. At least it ought to be. And so... Out for the sake of love, out of, as an expression of love, step into that responsibility. Step into that role of leadership, men. Headship, leadership in the home, is the divine calling. This is from Piper, um, John Piper. Headship is the divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like Servant, leadership, protection, and provision in the home. That's a loaded sentence, but uh, it is this divine calling. So it's not something that we choose. It is a divine calling of a husband to take primary responsibility for Christ-like servant, leadership, protection, and provision. We'll unpack that as we go along. One commentator says, this is not simply a matter of of the husband having affections or feelings or being sexually attracted to his wife. Rather, it involves his unceasing care and loving service for her entire well-being. So, first, husband leadership is a reality. That's the first thing. It's a reality. Your leadership, men, is a reality. It's not, God doesn't have to tell you to be the leader in the home. You are the leader of the home. It's just where are you leading? That's the question. How are you leading? The leader, uh, excuse me, the husband is the leader of his wife. The husband is the, the head of his wife, it says in Ephesians 5. The head steers, directs, and guides the body, doesn't it? Likewise, in the home, the husband steers the wife and the, and the family, steers the household towards Christ. 
The husband directs them to holiness. He guides the, the home in biblical wisdom. That's what it means to lead. And it is a reality. The question isn't, are you leading? It's how you're leading. It's where you're leading. Are you leading? Are you directing towards, searing towards Christ? Directing towards holiness? Guiding to biblical wisdom? Or are you going somewhere else? Remember, men, you're not commanded to be the head of the home. Because you are the head of the home. In God's eyes, maybe your wife is, maybe the wife is, is leading and you have the roles reversed. You're still the head of the home. You're just not doing it well. And you're leading your family to destruction. Not only is leadership a reality, husband leadership is a responsibility. This is the main thing. Husband leadership is a responsibility. Remember back in Genesis 2, when God made the man and the woman, God gave to Adam, the man, the husband. He gave the first commands to him. He gave the commands in Genesis 2, 15 to 17. He gave Adam the command to oversee the garden. He gave Adam the, the limitations on the, the trees that he could and could not eat from. He gave the man of the household, Adam, he gave the husband the, the moral direction. And we see this reality, not just in Genesis 2, but in Genesis 3, after the fall, right? Because who did God call for in Genesis 3? Call for Adam. Adam, where are you? And men, you, you got to hear the Lord is calling you and calling your name, husband. Where are you? The husband, the man, just as Adam is to be the one responsible to lead in both physical and spiritual matters. Therefore, it is the man's responsibility to lead his family in all areas of life. He is especially responsible to lead spiritually because the man is held accountable for the spiritual state of the household. So husbands, your wife and your children, if you have them, look to you for direction. They do. The question is, what are they seeing? What priorities, what passions are they learning from your example? What do you get riled up about? What do you spend your time with? What are you excited about? What matters to you? And this shows in every aspect of life what you spend your money on, what you spend your time on, what makes you smile, what makes you cheer, what makes your heart go. They see it. Oh, yes, they do. Thomas Brooks reminds us, men, that sinful examples are very enticing and encouraging. Many have found it so to their eternal undoing. Those that have no ears to hear what you say may or have many eyes to see what you do. He says, bad princes make bad subjects, bad masters make bad servants, and bad husbands make bad wives. 
It is easier for the bad to corrupt the good than for the good to convert the bad. It is easier to run down the hill with company than to run up the hill alone. Wise way of putting it. Man, it is, it is so easy, husbands, so easy to lead your family and your wife downhill. It's much harder to lead them uphill. Oh, men, may we be up to the task. This is the challenge. This is the adventure of life. This is the calling. You want your life to count. You want your life to, to matter. You want excitement and challenge. And, and you want uh, 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 this, this struggle. You want to be part of a, some struggle of, of, of good and evil. And you want to be part of something uh, 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 that is eternal. Well, it starts in the home. You've got to run uphill, man. Because a husband is responsible. Men, just like Adam, you will answer to God for your marriage. Not your wife. You will answer to God for your marriage. Your wife will answer to God for her life, but you're going to answer for your life and your marriage and your home. Don't be like Adam in the Garden of Eden. Remember? When, when Satan tempted Eve, she took of the apple, right, or the fruit, rather. She took of the fruit and ate of it and then gave to her husband who was with her. Passive man. Just watching on the sidelines as his wife is being tempted to sin. Oh, men, get in there. Get into the life of your wife. And promote godliness. Speak truth. Speak the gospel into her life. And call her to follow you as you strive in your holiness. And in your godliness and in your devotion to Christ. And remember what Adam said? He passed the buck, didn't he? What was his response when God came and said, Adam, where are you? He says, well, it was, the, it was the wife that you gave me. It's the woman that you gave me, Lord. She gave me the fruit and I ate. It wasn't my fault, right? I was, just, I was just minding my own business and my wife gives me this, this fruit. You know, how should I know? No, God says, I hold you responsible. What are you responsible to do? What does this responsibility of leadership look like? First, lead in holiness. Lead in holiness. There are certain areas where your wife needs to grow and put off sin, put off righteousness. She needs to hear it from you, husband. She also needs to see it in you, too, right? Instead of barking orders, she needs to see a model. And she will be drawn towards holiness if she sees it in you first, brothers. You are not to wait for her to start acting right in order for you to start being holy. What does that look like? Lead in scripture reading. Lead in prayer. Lead in service. Lead in your church going. Lead in scripture reading. First, be consistent in your Bible reading. Read the Bible with your wife and your children. Keep each other accountable. Do the same Bible reading plan. Memorize the same verses. Remember, we have church memory verses, and there's a handout on the back table of all the memory verses that we're doing. Do that as a family. Do that as a couple. Initiate that. 
And then lead in prayer. Initiate those times of prayer together. Whether it's at the beginning of the day, at meals, before bed, when you get disturbing news on the phone. Ask her how you can pray for her. And keep a record of it. Lead in service. Lead in service. Brothers, everyone in your home is not there to do your bidding. You must be a part of the effort to keep the home clean. Serve in the church as well. Serve in the home, serve in the church as well. And then recruit your family to serve alongside you. Say, no, we're doing this together. We're doing this together. And then lead in church going. As you lead in holiness, lead in church going. If the gathering of the saints are not important to you, brothers, it won't be for them. Especially when you bring in children into the mix. Men, you need to just tell your wife that you're going to church. This is just what we do. You set the pace. Secondly, not only lead in holiness, men, but you need to lead in humility. That is, don't be a bully. Don't be a bully, brothers. Stop the sins of anger and bitterness, resentfulness, abuse, whether especially if it's physical. How dare you? And, and, but even emotional and, and verbal. Cease those sins. Don't be intimidating or threatening or demanding or bossy in the home. John Chrysostom, the golden-tongued preacher of the early church, he says... But the partner of one's life, the mother of one's children, the foundation of one's every joy, one ought never to chain down by fear and menaces, but with love and good temper. For what sort of union is that where the wife trembles at her husband? What sort of pleasure will the husband himself enjoy if he dwells with his wife as with a slave and not as with a free woman? Indeed, do not scold her, for Christ does not scold you. Beautifully put. Oh, men, you want to enjoy your marriage? Make your wife enjoy the marriage. Make it an enjoyable thing. Third, lead in self-discipline. Lead in self-discipline. And we'll get to this in a, in a more in a moment. We'll elaborate, but don't be lazy, whether it's physical or spiritual. Both. Do not be a lazy man. Brothers, attack each day with a holy zeal, eager to seize that day for the glory of Christ. You get a fresh opportunity, new mercies every morning, right? You get a new chance. Our God is so gracious, isn't he? Oh, we might have a bad pattern, but, but today and tomorrow is another chance. God gives you another chance each day to do better than the day before, to break the cycle, to break the habits, to break the sin, to change the culture in the home. He gives you a new opportunity each day, brothers. Oh, seize it with vigor. And then lastly, lead in decision-making. Lead in decision-making, whether it's a career or a job change, whether it's getting more education or how many kids will we have, how and when will we discipline those kids. 
What are we going to do for the children's education? Are we going to get a pet? Are we going to buy a home? Are we going to rent? Are we going to move? Are, are we, what's our financial budget? What are we doing for vacation? What are our health decisions? What, what, what are the hobbies that we're going to do, both individually and as a family? Are we going to put the kids in sports? Or are we going to, where are we going to serve in, in ministry? All of those are decisions that have to be made. And men, you must be the guide in those decisions. Don't be indecisive as a man. Don't procrastinate those decisions and, and, just, and just put them off and then hopefully your wife picks up the slack. You need to lead in those decision-making opportunities. And, and often, if we're honest, when we can't make decisions or refuse... Most often it shows fear. A fear of making the wrong choice. A fear of offending someone in the home. Or whatever else. It often comes from fear. And so you need to bolster your faith in God. And trust that, you know, I'm going to just choose the best that I can. I trust that God's going to protect us and help us. Of course, you seek your wife's input and help. You pray with her. You share the scriptures with her. But you men must make a choice and then stand by that decision. You must. And wives, pray for your husbands. Pray for your husbands. And when he makes a choice, you've got to get his back. You've got to have his back. You've got to support him. You're, you're his help. And, you, and if you've made clear, I don't believe that this is a wise, wise choice, but he still chooses it anyway, I'm going to help you any way I can as long as you're not asking me to sin. I'm going to do the best to exalt Christ in our marriage. Now, again, often it's helpful to look at uh, what this, what's the opposite of this loving leadership in the home. So uh, uh, eight things. I, I gave a list to you ladies last week. So I have a list for you men. Eight things where a husband shows a lack of biblical leadership and love when, one, he is angry. That is, he frequently gets upset and responds by, with outbursts or withdrawing or pouting or frustration. He gets defensive when there is any opposition to his desires. A husband shows a lack of biblical leadership and love when he is cowardly as well. Cowardly. That is, he avoids making decisions, especially when the wife might not like his decision, and he rarely disagrees with his wife in order just to keep the peace. No, brother, you're not keeping the peace. You're, you're, you're being cowardly. And, and especially when you are unwilling to confront and rebuke sin. Oh, how can we stand by and, and, and fearfully watch as our wives give themselves over to lesser things than Christ? Husband shows a lack of biblical leadership and love. Third, when he's passive. When he's passive. And we, we, we couch this or, or, or veil this in easygoing, right? I'm just easygoing. He has an easygoing mentality. He doesn't, but, but the reality is, because he's passive, he doesn't initiate anything of substance. 
right? Yeah, sure, you initiate a trip to McDonald's, but that's about it. What else are you getting going in the home? When there is sin or unhealthy patterns in the members of his home, this passive man does not confront the problem. Rather, he looks the other way. The husband shows a lack of biblical leadership and love forth when he's absent. When he is absent. That is, when he spends most of his non-working hours, of course, I know men, you have to and you ought to be working, be preoccupied with that. But when you spend most of your non-working hours either out of the home or in front of a screen, you're absent. He's not emotionally or relationally invested in his wife. He doesn't take time, as 1 Peter 3 says, to understand his wife. And men, I know that might sound impossible. How am I supposed to understand my wife? But God says, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. So you can do it. If God commands it, you can do it. You're not going to fully understand everything because sometimes we don't understand ourselves, right? Of course. But you're going to live in an understanding way. You're going to try and get to know her more, to know what makes her tick, to know how to help her grow in Christ-likeness. Uh, fifth, a husband shows a lack of biblical leadership and love when he's lazy. When he's lazy. Again, either spiritually or, or physically. This is a lifestyle of not accomplishing anything positive or constructive in the home. This man procrastinates doing difficult tasks by simply avoiding them or making excuses for why he cannot act. And what happens is years go by without any change or growth in many areas of life. Whether that's in your relationship or your holiness or the, the, the culture of the home, it's just been this way forever. Uh, brothers, we are not called to a life that has just been this way forever. That's lazy. You are to take each day and work hard. And so that at the end of the day, you can rest your head on your pillow with a clear conscience saying, I didn't do it perfectly. I didn't do everything right, but I tried. Six, a man is, uh, shows a lack of biblical leadership and love when he's proud. That is, he focuses on his wants, his needs, and he never refuses, or excuse me, he, he, he never admits that he just might be wrong. This is the man who believes he cannot learn anything from his wife. Oh, that's a shame. If you have lived a life, men, where you just assume you can't learn anything from your wife, that means you're a fool. Because the wise one seeks understanding but the fool rejects it don't be proud brothers the proud man the proud husband continually finds faults with his wife not often or never seeing the good in her and treats her with little to no honor 
you are to honor your wife. Honor them as fellow heirs of the grace of life, 1 Peter 3. Honor your wife, not yourself. Seven, man is uh, not fulfilling his calling to lead and love in the home when he is hypocritical, when he's a hypocrite. He expects his wife to serve him and be a blessing to him while he is unwilling to do the same thing for her. You want your wife to do all of these things for you, but you don't lift a finger for her? That's hypocritical love. This also shows in having double standards. One standard of rules, one budget, one one standard of child discipline and other expectations for her while having another standard for you. No, you don't get to get away with things that she doesn't. It's the same standard. And the standard is Christ. That's the standard. And both of you are to strive for that standard in the home. Then last, the husband shows a lack of biblical leadership and love when he is negligent. When he's negligent. That is, he does not fulfill his responsibility to read and pray with his wife. He's asleep at the wheel. He's not at the helm of the ship. He doesn't discipline his children. He doesn't teach them biblical truth. He leaves all those things to his wife. And, he, and what he functionally does is he leaves the members of his household like sheep without a shepherd. Oh, man, don't do that to your beloved wife. Shepherd them. Lead them to Christ. Remember, uh, as we looked at last week, in marriage, the couple finds greatest harmony when the husband lovingly and sacrificially leads his wife and the wife willingly and submissively helps her husband. That is biblical marriage harmony. Now, just like last week, most of my time is spent on the, the, the husband's role of leadership. I want to spend just a little bit of time on these last two points. Christ-like love serves. Christ-like love serves. Again, drawing from Ephesians 5.25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for her. So as Christ serves the church... As he ministers to us, as he and it began in his condescension and in his self-sacrifice, brothers, love for you and from you towards your wife is to first of all be sacrificial. Love, Christ-like love that serves is sacrificial. Men, do you give yourself up for your wife? As a believing husband has been saved and transformed in Christ, he is no longer living for himself. He does not love his wife uh, because of what he can gain from her in any way. He, 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 that is selfish idolatry. And that's exactly what, what is, is forbidden in Colossians 3.5. Therefore consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. That's part of your old life, doing 
things for her so what, for what you can get out of her. That's selfish idolatry. That is just serving yourself. And that is supposed to be part of your old life, men. See, what this means, what, what sacrificial love means and servant leadership means is that the chief servant in the home should be the man. And remember the model of our Savior, right? Remember him in the upper room washing the disciples' feet. Remember him in Philippians 2, who though uh, he is and was God eternal, did not consider that thing a thing to be held onto or grasped, but, but he laid aside his, his, the manifestation of his glory and clothed himself with humanity all, and, and, and obeyed all the way to the cross. Why? Because he loves God and the, the, he was for the glory of God and he loves you, Christian. He serves us. He served us at the cross. And so if we follow the model of Christ's servanthood towards us, what we realize is that servanthood, the husband's servanthood, does not nullify his leadership. Rather, just as Christ, it defines it. Your humble service to your wife does not nullify the fact that you're the leader of the home. It defines it. It elevates it. Because you choose to serve. This love is the distinctly Christian word for the kind of sacrificial, self-giving love whose model is Christ himself, Douglas Moo says. Not only does love sacrifice, but, but men, love provides. Remember in Genesis 2, the command was to work and to cultivate the garden to the man. The primary responsibility of putting food on the table and basic necessities is on the husband. Now, the question is this. In most passages in the Bible that speak on marriage, most passages, the man's provision for the home is not mentioned. Why is that? Is it because it's not a big deal? Is it because that notion is outdated? No. It's because... This is the fundamental and most basic expectation of any man, Christian or not. 1 Timothy 5.8 says, If anyone does not provide for his own, especially for those of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Men, if you slack off on this, if this isn't important to you, you're worse than an unbeliever. You must strive to provide for your home, and that shows love. But not only this, love is unconditional. Because just as God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8, just like that love, so we are to love. Don't wait for your wife to get better or to be, become more beautiful, or to be, to be uh, uh, more godly, or for you to get along, or anything else, love your wife while she is yet a sinner. Christ loves us despite us. Isn't that true? And doesn't that fill your heart with gratitude? 
Oh, husbands, there will be times when you have to love your wife despite of your wife. And vice versa, of course. But God makes it clear that, that husbands are to love regardless of the condition. Love, true love, is steadfast as well. The command here in Colossians 3.19 is love your wives. That is in the present tense. That is, you don't stop. Husband's love is to be ongoing, continuous. The love, John MacArthur says, the love that existed from the start of the marriage is to continue throughout the marriage. And if anything, grow. Just as you have no fear of God, brothers, just like you have no worry or fear that God is going to just stop loving you one day, your wife should be secure in your love for her. She should have no worry that one day you're just going to stop loving her. How are you going to get there? It's because you're faithful, because you give and you give and you give, just like God does for you. Oh, make her feel secure in your love. Love forgives as well. True love is willing to let the small things go. 1 Peter 4.8, love covers a multitude of sins. It lets the small things go. And even when the offense is too great to ignore, love is willing to work through the process of forgiveness for the sake of Christ's glory. Not only this, but that love purifies as well. Love purifies just as Christ washes his bride in Ephesians 5, 25 to 27, just like Christ washes his bride, the church, through the word of God, the husband, too, is to be actively involved in the spiritual sanctification of his wife. That means, men, you got to step up your game, right? And have something worth following. And be able to call her out on sin and not be a hypocrite yourself. You are responsible for her walk with Christ, though. So take initiative to read, pray, and gather with the church along with her. Now, this last point. This last point I want to touch briefly. Third, Christ-like love is sweet. Now, I get that from our passage here. Colossians 3.19, Husbands, love your wives. And then this interesting phrase, And do not be embittered against them. So we've already talked about what the calling of the husband's love is to be, but now he follows it up with this negative command. He gave the positive command to love your wife. Now there's a negative command. Do not be embittered against them. Now this word, to be embittered, is used in the book of Revelation for things becoming sour or bitter to the taste. You know that taste if you've ever, you know, opened uh, uh, or you've ever had a, a bowl of cereal with some spoiled milk or anything else. You know that taste of bitter. Some of you like that taste. I don't understand. Uh, but uh, specifically in Scripture, and the most of the, its use is towards the heart and, and the actions. In Acts 8, it's used to describe Simon the magician's selfish entitlement. In Romans 3, it describes the harsh words of the unrighteous sinner. 
in Hebrews 12, it's equated to a lack of grace towards other believers, which stirs up trouble and dissension in the church. And in Ephesians 4, it is the first sin of the unforgiving heart. The sin which leads to many other deadly and destructive sins to a marriage relationship. So, so if we take all this together, to be embittered is to be given over to selfishness and pride that the husband is characterized by anger, entitlement, harshness, and impatience. That is what it looks like to be embittered towards your wife. And one author says, Paul tells the husband not to call their wives honey and then act like vinegar. I like that. Don't say honey, honey, and then you're just a bowl of vinegar to her. Wow. This bitterness is seen in the husband's tendency to take offense at the smallest misstep of his wife. Ask, your, ask yourself and ask your wife, would your wife say that you are unpleasant to be around? Would she say that you are sour, sharp, severe, cruel, or stern? So what's the opposite of this, right? That's the question. What's the opposite of being embittered? It's sweet. Christ-like love is sweet. Now, I, I don't mean this trivial Valentine's Day sweet. It's not what this means. Christ gives us a perfect model of his treatment to his bride. In Ephesians 5, 28 and 29, it says, Husbands ought... Also, to love their own wives as their own bodies, he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Oh, dear believer, Christ nourishes you, and he cherishes you. Oh, that's, if that doesn't melt your heart, I don't know what will. Husbands, you, are, you get the privilege of being nourished and cherished by the Son of the living God. By the eternal King of kings and Lord of lords. Takes time to nourish you and cherish you. How can we be sour to our wives? Nourish your wife. The word here is used... For how parents richly provide for their children in order that the child might grow up healthy and whole. This is to provide everything that is needed for your wife's spiritual and, and, and physical good. Nourish her. And then cherish is used in 1 Thessalonians 2 of the gentleness of a nursing mother who tenderly cares for her child. It literally means to warm by drawing near. Like a bird that sits on her eggs to provide warmth and care. Like being warmed by a fire, letting the warmth of the fire transfer to your body. So husbands are to be warm to their wives. To draw them near. It, this, is for, this, is, this, this is the calling to the husband to genuinely desire and promote the physical and relational nearness. That comes with marriage. And no, it's not just intimacy. It's relational. Draw her close, men. 
cherish her, nourish her, give her everything she needs and more. Be generous. One Puritan says, love is the life and soul of marriage. Yea, verily, without love, marriage is a most uncomfortable thing. And no better than a living death. Love makes all things easy. And the lack of it makes all things hard. Love seasons and sweetens all situations. Love settles all controversies. Love overrules all anger and it controls all actions. Oh, men, listen to the words of George Swinnick. All things that concern your wife should be done in love. Your thoughts should be thoughts of love. Your looks should be looks of love. Your lips, like the honeycomb, should drop with nothing but sweetness and love. Your instructions should be edged with love. Your rebukes should be sweetened with love. Your attitude and whole conversation towards her should be but the fruit and demonstration of your love. Oh, how did Christ, who is your pattern, love his spouse? Husbands, love your wives. Stand with me as we pray. Oh, Lord. If any of us are honest, uh, the bar is just so, so high. I, I pray for the dear men of this church, and especially the husbands, that you would give them hope. That if the Spirit is within them, if they have truly been given a new heart, then they can begin to do this. I pray for our dear wives of this church that they would be patient with their husbands. That they would encourage any sign of this, of these things when they see it. They would celebrate it. And they would do everything that they can to promote their husband's role as a loving leader. Lord, I pray for the marriages of this church that you would continue to bring more and more harmony. That you would continue to grow them in, in Christ's likeness. That uh, the unbelievers around us would look into our marriages and just see the gospel. And Lord, all praise goes to you. Because we're going to fail. But Lord, your righteousness covers up all of our failures. And your forgiveness endures our failures. And your, your steadfastness, Lord, helps us to overcome those failures. Help us, God. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.